Welcome to Ask a Pastor. Today I'm joined by Russ Brasher. Russ uh, leads our student ministries on our Wexford campus. Has done a great job uh, ministering to hundreds of students uh, year after year. Uh, really getting a chance to see kids make decisions, um, chart a course for their life that is toward Christ and on a, on a good path. And so we're so thankful, Russ, for what you do here. Thanks. Thanks Thank for you. joining me today. If you have questions, you can send them to askapastor at orchardhillchurch.com, and we will be happy to address them in coming episodes. So today, uh, we have a couple questions that are themed together. And they're around, in some ways, the issue of salvation, which is really one of the central issues of Christianity, because if we have this doctrine wrong, this idea wrong, then uh, a lot of what we're talking about doesn't matter. And so the the first question that came in uh, kind of around this was a question that basically said, uh, how does somebody who's never heard the message of Jesus Christ, how how is it that, that that is right or fair? Or how is it that they could come to faith? Or what is the answer to, to people who've never heard? And kind of what's behind the question is this idea that says, if somebody wants to have eternal life, if they want to have heaven, whatever phrase you want to use, that they have to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Acknowledge their sin, acknowledge Jesus Christ. Uh, without doing that, there's no salvation. That seems to be the overall teaching of the Bible. So the question is, what if somebody's never heard about this Jesus? Then how do they acknowledge him? So... Russ, yeah, uh, and I'm sure I'm sure this is a question you get from students or questions like it all the time. So so tell us all your yeah. thoughts. Uh, students usually phrase the question like, "What about the isolated man on the island?" Or "What do you do about the undiscovered, unreached mm-hmm. tribe?" How is that fair if they die and never hear the gospel message? And as far as I know, and how I try to answer it is, the Bible doesn't say exactly how God will deal with people who have never had a chance to hear the gospel message. But what the Bible does talk about is Jesus is going to one day come and he's going to judge the believers and the non-believers. And this is sort of where it's a, hey, what do I think? And I don't think that Jesus is going to come back until everyone has somehow had a chance or an opportunity to hear the gospel message. And the cool thing is in the world that we live in now with technology and social media and all these outlets, like our opportunities and ways that we can reach and we can speak languages and we can go places that we've never gone is getting better and better, which makes me even more and more excited that that could mm-hmm. be happening sooner rather than later. But it still doesn't change the fact that scripture and the Bible does make it very clear that salvation is only found in the name of Jesus Christ. That you, uh, That's why the weight and the importance of sharing the gospel message to the world has such a pull with believers is telling as many people as we can because that's where salvation is found. And so the big question is what if no one has ever had a chance? I also think that scripture does deal at least with this idea that there is really no such thing as the isolated innocent man on the island or the unreached tribe because scripture, especially in Romans, it talks about how God from the beginning of time and has continued to reveal himself to everyone uh, through creation, through his, us being his creation and the world around that. Even if you've never heard the gospel message, there, there is something in us and around us that says and speaks to the existence of God. And then Romans also talks about that we have, have all witnessed that and experienced that, but have chosen to suppress that truth and exchange it 
for a lie and decide to worship and honor things that are not God. And so when Romans says that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, it's saying there is no one who is without sin or innocent or going to be excused from this idea of, of saying or not saying that God does or doesn't exist or I want nothing to do with God or I'm not going to make my life about God. Mm-hmm. And so it sort of helps, I think, when you rephrase the question that way and sort of look at it from that perspective is we think that, oh, they're innocent and they have nothing or, you know, but I also think that, again, as you troll through Scripture, and it's not about what I think, it's about what the Bible does and doesn't say and does and doesn't address. You know, you even look at uh, the story of Cornelius in Acts where this was a man who has never heard the gospel message but loved God and wanted to follow God and honor his life or honor God with his life. God made a way for Cornelius and his whole family to hear the gospel message. He sent someone to share that message and salvation came to him and everyone in his house. And, and again, I think that that's where we come into play as believers who want people to hear and know the truth of salvation because, or of Jesus Christ, because that is where salvation is found. But as far as, is, will there be a time where people die and never get a chance to hear? That's between God and them and how that works out, and I don't think that's... Yeah, there's a couple things that are, that are important here. One is, this is part of why the missionary enterprise is right. so important is if you believe this, you say, if people don't hear, then we have somehow been complicit in not taking the message. The flip side is a lot of people would look at Romans 1, which you cited, where it says, and God has made it plain to them. It says uh, that people are without excuse because God uh, has been, in fact, let me read this so I don't just butcher my quote. But um, the, the idea is that for some people when they hear this is they'll say, that God has made it plain enough that each person has some revelation and he'll probably judge them based on the revelation they've had, which is a way to kind of sidestep the issue in a sense because it says that's up to God. It's not up to me to understand. God says I've given them enough. Here's what it says. It says the wrath of God, this is Romans 1.18 and following, is being revealed from heaven against all the godless and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. And that's, that's where people would say yeah. they have enough, but they have not responded to what they've had. And, and how some people would answer that is they'd say, and if they've responded to what God has given them, then God will give them more until they have enough that they can respond to his revelation. Right. Um, and, and there's a piece of me that, that's comfortable with that to say, yeah. say, yes, the missionary enterprise matters, but also... Um, I don't need to answer how does God reveal himself, but he's made himself plain. And if people respond to what he's made plain, he'll probably make himself more plain until uh, such a time yeah. that, uh, that, that they can uh, be somebody who can affirm faith or God in his own way is able to yeah. judge. And that's what, you know, a lot of people say like those ans- that's a cop-out answer. Yeah, that's but right. The sad truth is, is like, that is the answer and you have to humbly choose to accept that and put faith and trust in that. Yeah. And, but it's not a cop-out answer. It's a real answer based on what scripture does and doesn't say about the matter. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm kind of the same vein. Another question is Mm -hmm. um, how could a loving God send people to hell? So if hell and heaven are in the balance, uh, how would this great God of love that you guys talk about all the time, how would he send people to hell? Yeah, 
I love this question too, because I feel like you always have to rephrase it, especially with students, um, because at least students are still trying to figure out what love is and what love isn't, and a lot of their definition of love comes from a broken culture and influence that says this is what love is, and it's a human definition based on our human understanding, which is broken. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and the question, you want to assume that it's a, about genuine interest and care for the non-believer, but I think it is more we want to know the nature of God and who we think God is because we want to believe in a God that is loving, but how do you address this? Mm -hmm. And I think it does go back to first defining what do you believe a loving God is? Because if you think that a loving God is a non-confrontational, all-accepting, tolerant of everything God, you've, you've already missed a huge characteristic mm -hmm. and, and understanding of who God is. Another thing too is, you know, even just the idea of sending. In our world, sending is, if I'm sending a letter or a package to you, I have total control as to where it's going and that package or letter has no say or opinion or choice in the matter. And sometimes we think that God is sending and we have no control or choice or opinion mm -hmm. in the matter. And that, that changes the question too to possibly something more like if God is so loving or if God is love, then why do people go to hell? I think that helps us see it a little bit different and maybe begin to understand it more in this idea that scripture says that God is love. You know, First John 4 says God is love. And so we have to, if we believe that and we trust scripture, then even the act of God allowing us to choose heaven or hell and choose to believe in him and choose to follow him or not, is God loving us, even when that's hard to like grasp or understand right. or believe. And, and the other side too is just in a way that God is love, God is also just, you know, and just like we crave love, we crave justice and God is the perfect representation of those two things. And so for God to not love us and to not be just and to allow sin-tainted humans into his perfect heaven would destroy it and make it less than what he created to be. And we also think that when we look at that situation and say, well, that's not love, then what we're essentially saying is we know more about love and are more loving than God. Mm -hmm. And that is not true. And, you know, so when God is love, I think that's the hardest part is it's not that God is saying, okay, you are all my robots and I created that you that way. The beauty of love is that it's voluntary. Right. And so we we get to choose to love God because we also have the choice to not love God. Yeah, well, I like how, how you stated that. There's a couple things here that, that you said that, that I appreciate. One is is the notion of God sending. Um, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said a, something like this. It'd be a bad paraphrase, but um, you know, sometimes we get this notion that God like threw people into hell and is up here going ah ha ha ha. Right. Uh, rather than the fact that that people who are there, despite whatever punishment that is wouldn't at that moment choose God anyway because they've mm -hmm. become so hardened in their in their sin and their rebellion that they're saying, this is where I choose to to be. Uh, certainly people will debate the choose language and some of that about, you know, is this God? But certainly, humanly speaking, there is a choice involved uh, that says, I do not bend my knee to Jesus Christ. I will not acknowledge him as right. Lord and Savior. Now, others will, will look and say, well, doesn't Philippians say one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess or revelation that, that Jesus is Lord and 
And, and so doesn't that mean that one day everybody will? Well, it does, but it doesn't mean that it reverses uh, the judgment that, that right. is one day coming. Um, one of the things that, that, that's helpful to me when I think about this is, is to say sometimes, and, and you reference this with justice, to say justice is, is my notion of justice yeah. and my definition of love. Um, and sometimes I don't like the offense that I resist Jesus. I don't acknowledge Jesus as my savior. And that's the one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, because a lot of good people, from my vantage point of good, uh, don't acknowledge Jesus as Savior, and a lot of really bad people do. And so it seems to offend our sense of justice. Most people would say, well, there are some people who deserve hell. You know, a, a person who is a child pornographer or who is a repeat uh, serial murderer, um, you'd say, well, okay, there, there has to be justice. God can't just say, oh, it's all good. Right. Um, but in, in our understanding, the repeat murderer can be just as justified by God's grace as somebody who has never had a murderous thought in their mind. Yeah. And, and so that's where we get hung up, I think, sometimes is saying, saying how could a loving God do this? How, how could this be a system? And, and what we have to understand and come to is this, this knowledge that says God's standard is so holy and righteous that all of us come short and therefore anybody who doesn't have Christ it is it is their 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 assignment their their role to to experience this this punishment that God has set up but that is hard as as a human to Very say hard. that's that's our way of understanding what the scriptures teach mm-hmm. um, and but without that what we'll do is we'll always say well I don't really like this so I, I I choose not to have a hell I choose to believe that there's you know eternal salvation for everyone or that there's there's some other thing but certainly you read John three you read Romans you read Revelation uh, all of these texts speak about this idea. Of, uh, of punishment uh, that is perpetual for people. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, th- I think it's good that people feel the weight of that because then you look at Calvary mm-hmm. and you look at the cross and you realize that God in the flesh, may, who was perfect, died for the very people that were rebelling against him right. in the hopes of taking their sin and their punishment. And we get to choose and say, well, I'm going to acknowledge that and, and let God take that and let Jesus die for that, or I'm going to choose that right. that's my punishment, whether or not you want to. Right. So, so this leads to another question, which is, so what makes heaven so great? <laughs> like, why would somebody say, I want God's heaven? Yeah. Well, I mean, just even on a personal level, you know, when I think about that, I just think of, you know, especially being in ministry as long as I have, and even talking to people like you who have been in ministry longer, and just all the heartbreak and the stories that you hear of, of just life and the brokenness of this world, realizing that scripture is so clear that it says one day when we are in heaven and we are rejoicing and we are in the very presence and we are face to face with God, like all of that stuff is no more. All of the brokenness that in this world, even the greatest things that it's, you know, at the microscope version of it is shattered and broken. And mm-hmm. we don't even, we can't even see or taste, you know, even an extent of what God created and how good he is. And just to think that one day that that's where we'll be and, and how much hope that brings to today. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's what makes it worthwhile is 
you're never going to experience that until heaven one day. But, you know, whether it's broken bodies or sin, disease, pain, sorrow, cry, like all that's gone and you get to live the way that God created it and designed it and how good it's going to be. I mean, if that doesn't bring hope to today and make it worthwhile and give us something to look forward to and something to push towards, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, in my opinion, that's what makes it worth worthwhile. Yeah, one of the things that uh, that I love, just when I think about this, it's a line actually from uh, Lord of the Rings, where toward the end, he says, it's a time when one day everything sad will come untrue. Mm. And, and the reason I like that is I think when we conceptualize heaven as a perpetual church service or choir singing, cherubs and angels flying around, uh, we can kind of get in that space where we're like, yeah, I don't know that I want to go there. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily love, you know, I'm a pastor and I don't always love church services. Um, and, uh, and so there, there's a sense in which you're like, why would I want that forever? And yet when we get the idea that this is the place where everything's sad comes untrue, where God takes the brokenness, the things that, that, that were, were heartbroken to see over and over again and says, I'm going to not just not just um, make it so that those things don't exist, but they'll become untrue. So, 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 so that's another level because right. what it's doing is it's saying, not only is there no pain, not only is there no, no tears, which, which that's what the Bible affirms. So maybe the line from Lord of the Rings, it's not scripture, so maybe it's overblown um, in a sense. But, but I love that thought because that's what redemption is. Redemption is saying, I take something that was once broken and I buy it back and I restore it and I redeem it and I use it for its original intended purpose. And so anybody who's had any brokenness in their lives, any death, any, any heartbreak of any substance can say, the reason that I want to share in God's new heavens and new earth is because he will take all of that brokenness and redeem it and make it so that what was sad is now not true for me. Uh, that's hard for me to fathom. That's hard for me to get my head around. But, but when I read the scriptures, that is something that's worth saying, saying I want to um, live with anticipation and hope and joy because of what's ahead. Right, absolutely. So, so, um, so tell us um, a little bit here, you know, as we've entered the new year and we're into 2019, tell us a little bit about uh, just some of the great things that you're expecting this year in student ministries and how families can get their kids involved in student ministry at Orchard Hill. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, uh, we're going to, we're starting kicking off 724 and Collide again, all that's starting back up. We're really excited uh, for the upcoming camp trips that we're going to be taking with middle school and high school. So tell us about your summer trips, just so, just so people yeah. who are listening can kind of plan for the summer. We're going to take a, a week for high school and go uh, to Cedarville University for MOVE. It's a five-day camp trip where students are going to be immersed in Scripture, immersed in worship, and just in community with each other mm-hmm. to be able to get away. Um, we're going to actually go to the same place this year for middle school, okay. uh, just different weeks. Um, but it's a week-long trip. Uh, where we're hoping to bring at least 50, maybe even more students with us uh, to get away and just to surround them with, with the, the gospel, with, with scripture, with community, with tons of fun, uh, even some surprise, and, and just really grow their faith, explore their faith, and, and even for some hopefully come to faith right. that week. It's going to be a great time. Right, and one of the other things, especially if your kids are part of Orchard Hill, 
that's fantastic is to have them involved in helping to be one of the Kids Fest leaders. Um, one of the great things about Kids Fest is all the grade school kids that come, but it's also all the high school kids who get a chance to pour back into kids, teach them about Jesus. Uh, we find that to be one of the great discipleship opportunities for kids, uh, for students, high school students here at Orchard Hill. So if Orchard Hill is your church home, I hope that you'll take advantage of that. These guys do a fantastic job. Uh, thanks for being part of uh, Orchard Hill's uh, Ask a Pastor today, and uh, we'll look forward to catching you on a future episode. Thank you.